Hi, I'm Peter Holaska. I'm Rudy Barone. I'm Rachel Erickson. And I'm Troy Brigham. And this is episode two of our podcast series comparing the legal systems of France and the United States. Troy's going to get us started comparing the just the criminal justice processes of both the countries. Okay, thanks Pete. I'll start off with America. The major steps in processing a criminal case are as follows. In the U.S., it's considered more of an accusatory system. In France, it's actually considered more investigatory. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but in the accusatory system, under the accusatory process, in order that inaction must be must begin, it must be it must start with a complainant. The investigation after a complaint is fi- followed filed of a of a crime by the police. Uh, the purpose of a criminal investigation is to gather evidence to identify a suspect and support an arrest. An investigation may require a search or exploratory inspection of a person or property. Probable cause is the standard of proof required for a search. And probable cause will come up a lot in the criminal justice system in America. There are lots of laws that actually prohibit the police from doing too much or expanding too much of their power to search. So sometimes a search can be actually deemed um, admissible in court if it's not done properly. Then goes the arrest of a suspect by the police. And an arrest involves a person into custody for the purpose of holding the suspect until court. Probable cause is the legal requirement for an arrest. Again, you hear it, probable cause. Then it's prosecution of a criminal defendant by the district attorney. Uh, The attorney, the district attorney is usually the person representing the government or when deciding whether to charge a person with a crime, prosecutors weigh many factors. Then it's indictment by a grand jury or a judge or filing information by a prosecutor. Under the federal rules of criminal procedure, an indictment is required when, when prosecuting a capital offense, a prosecutor has the option of indictment or information in cases involving crimes punishable by imprisonment. And that, that kind of time can really vary on the, on the severity of the crime committed. So you can, you can really get any kind of time depending on the situation. Then arraignment by the judge. Before the trial, the defendant appears in courts and enters a plea. The most common pleas are guilty or not guilty. Pre-trial detention or bail, and Rudy will probably take over with that. Detention refers to a period of temporary custody prior to trial. Bail is amount of money paid by the defendant to ensure he or she will show up for trial. Then there's plea bargaining between the defense attorney and the prosecutor, usually in a plea bargaining, the defendant agrees to plea guilty in exchange for charge reduction or sentence reduction. Then there's trial adjunction of guilt by the jury and the judge with the prosecution or prosecutor and defense attorney participating. A trial is held before a judge or a jury. The standard of evidence for a criminal conviction is guilt beyond a reasonable doubt less than 100% certainty, but more high probability. Then there's sentencing by the judge where the the accused is found guilty, and then the judge meets out the sentence. Possible sentences include fine, probation, period of incarceration. Appeals, 
Attorneys in appellate courts can appeal to appellate judges or an appellate court to reverse a case and the case re returns to trial, but that's only if the case wasn't found, um, if the case wasn't properly following procedure. That's mostly when, when they can bring it to appellate court because nobody wants anybody to just waste their time. And there's punishment or re rehabilitation. So I'm gonna move on to the criminal justice of the French. Um, so French, or France is considered more investigatory, meaning that the police actually start investigating the crime. They follow up with witnesses, um, scenes analysis, you know, CCTV review and other available evidence, forensic samples, suspect, suspect interrogatories, things like that. Um, in case there's not enough evidence, an investigating judge closes the investigation. If new evidence is found later, the investigation can be reopened as long as the crime has not been time barred, meaning that it's been too much time for the evidence to go like stale or you know, it's, uh, it's almost like a statute of limitations. The justice system is a third pillar of the state and is independent of other two powers. It guarantees individual freedoms and the rule of law ensures laws are enforced and individual rights are respected. Um, the foundations and principles of the French justice system dates back to 1789 in the revolution and is based on a written law derived from corpus of text compromising acts of parliament and the Constitution of the Fifth Republic, which was created in 1958. International conventions and treaties follow European law, and France is under a civil law code and is founded under fundamental principles that access to, to the law is for all. No one should be ignorant of the law, and a system is supported access for them and to apply to pretty much everyone. Uh, enforcers of that um, through Council Departemental de l'Access au Droit, and that's like, that just means Dep Departmental Councils for Access to Law, a little French. Um, so basically, access to justice for all, everyone has a right of access, and the steps are more. Um, so they start investigating and then they arrest and then they cooperate um, and then there's an accusation while someone is detained and then as they gather evidence, <coughs> as they gather more evidence um, to confirm the accusation, then the judge in the case can decide if there's enough evidence to link that suspect to the crime or whichever suspect that they have in custody. Um, then there's a the process of the court and then there's the condemnation or like, you know, you're guilty or you're not guilty in the verdict and then imprisonment if that is the case. Um, I can explain more, but I'm actually taking up a little bit of time I'll move on to Peter Halaska. Um, well, 
After a person is arrested under the French legal system, they're afforded seven major rights immediately after they're taken into custody. First, they're afforded the right to be informed of the purpose of their detention and uh, whether they're expected to be charged or possibly released within a day or two. And they're also afforded the right to be informed of the exact legal qualification of the criminal offense he or she is suspected to have committed. So they can begin to form a legal defense with the lawyer that they're also, they also are given a right to. Uh, they're given the right to be examined by a physician, which is something in the United States that is not imme immediately afforded to uh, people in custody, but is often like uh, given anyways if medical assistance is needed. And uh, they have a, the right to have a relative, his or her employer, or uh, for foreign nationals, his or her embassy immediately informed of the detention. Um, they have the right to consult some documents relating to the investigation, such as transcripts of uh, interrogations, medical certificates issued by uh, doctors, or notice of, of uh, the total rights in custody. And they have the right during interrogations, after having declared their own identity, to choose to answer questions or not. Which is interesting because in the United States you have the right to remain silent completely, but in France you are required to at least say your name. Um, so you talked about the right to be examined by a physician, and that's not really anything we have in the U.S. other than um, how you mentioned only if the person in custody needs um, immediate medical attention. Do you think that's something we should have? Um, I think so, yeah, because you hear a lot of stories about uh, people in prison in like, deplorable conditions who are denied access to a doctor and oftentimes when they actually do need one and that can often result in like unfortunate very preventable inmate deaths so i feel like the right to at least be examined by a physician to be determined like if something is actually wrong is actually really important like and to uh, like kind of see whether any like medical steps need to be taken do you think it makes a difference though how many people like will say they need to be examined when in fact there's nothing actually wrong but they're just looking for a way to prolong the process well i think that just the existence of people who actually do need medical attention isn't uh uh is good enough a reason to guarantee that right like just because some people make it up they're going to be found out like as soon as the doctor sees them but the people who actually need it are able to get the care that they need. And in the United States, there's, uh, like under the Fifth Amendment, there are similar rights to uh, those guaranteed in France. Like you have the right to remain silent and uh, all the Miranda rights. Uh, you have, thanks to the Gideon case, you have right to representation in the criminal trial. And under the Eighth Amendment, <clears throat> you are guaranteed the right to a reasonable bail. And um, I think Rudy has more he wants to say on that. Sure. So bail in the U.S. is practically, before you are taken to trial, you are given a chance to bail out of jail for a certain amount of money set forth by the judge. But in France, it's different. You have to plead for bail, and you are not required to pay money. The ways that they're similar is you're given restrictions on what you can do, but at the same time they're different 
on based on the restrictions that they set forth for you. In the U.S., it's kind of more in the sense that they want you to make sure that you're going to stay where you are. Where in France, they're more just making sure that you're attending like all your court appearances and stuff like that. And another thing that's that I found kind of interesting was if you break your bail like contract, you're given another charge in the U.S. Whereas in France, you aren't. They kind of just take you back to jail and you're just kind of held there. And in like the U.S., I feel it, it's kind of it's better in the sense that it gives you more of a feeling like, okay, I can't mess up. But at the same time, I feel like it's messed up in the sense that you have to pay so much money to get a bail. And some people just end up pleading guilty because they don't feel as if they can take that financial burden on. So I feel like France wins in that aspect. But altogether, I would stick to the U.S. system just for more of the basis of the fear it puts into people of A, you're going to jail. B, you have to set forth all this money if you do something bad. And just, it's it's kind of more of the fear. I know it's bad to say, but it helps. It helps people understand, like, jail is a bad thing. And you shouldn't do something out of spite. And so I was going to ask a question. So in, in America, right, um, we have, you know, you're, you're provided a lawyer, you know, if you can't afford one. So with insufficient resources... Uh, can you be granted some sort of like with bail you know can you be granted some sort of aid um, you know if you can't reach that amount are you talking about it for France or for the US for France for France well they do not have you don't have to pay money to be bailed out you just have to have a petition to a judge and if the judge denies you you can go back and petition against his judgment to get bail if you like that's why it's different from the u.s because you don't have to pay so, so it's a lot easier his, okay directly to the judge he hears your case and then he determines whether you can be granted freedom or not yes okay and then Pete, what? so you think that the like the threat of consequence in the united states bail system is like a main reason of like why it actually works yeah pretty much like i feel Morally, if someone doesn't have the understanding to say, like, oh, I did something wrong, I feel as if they fear it more, like, oh, like, I can get another charge added to my case if I do this wrong. Or they could, oh, if I skip out on my court appearances and someone has posted bail for me, I'm kind of outing that person. And that kind of gets more back to the financial aspect of someone has to put up the money for you or you have to put up the money yourself. So I feel as if it's more intimidating in the fact that, okay, I have to put up this amount of money or someone's doing it for me, so I have another obligation to another person to do it. Um, so you talked about having like someone put that money up for you. Do you think it's more effective, uh, obviously this only pertains to the U.S., but to have like organizations that will like post bail for you than um, just to like have to put the money forth yourself? I feel like it would help, but at the same time, I feel some people would take advantage of that because the organization would put up front the money and you can't really have like a contract like, oh, I'm going to pay all this back to you because you have to do it based on good faith. And here in the U.S., when it comes to money, as we talked about, is we're very greedy and we desire money. 
in the sense that if it's going to help us, we're going to take it no matter what, whether we follow it or we don't. So I feel like it kind of helps there. But what if you look at it from the perspective as like someone who can't afford to post bail, they don't have any financial needs to to achieve that, and they're innocent and they're stuck in the system because they can't put that money for it. They have to sit there until trial starts. Do you think it's effective in helping those people or not necessarily? Yeah, it definitely helps in that aspect. You, it's kind of a double-edged sword when it comes to that because you have to look at it from the bad point of view and the good point of view. But you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. Would you rather be able to say, I helped this many people or this many people screwed me over? It kind of gets into that aspect. And another thing you can do is you can look into the background like, oh, has this, has this person been in trouble before? Have they skipped out on court appearances before? You can kind of get into that and I feel like it would help more. Go ahead. So I had a question for anyone who can really answer it, but um, for publication of you know the French system here, during your captivity, you know, for you, I'll phrase it for you, um, is your is your being held um, public information um, like in the American justice system? You know, everybody can know. Um, it's free access to the trial, if you will. Whereas in France, you want to feel that one? Or? Um, well, in most cases, it's similar in that aspect that a lot of it is public information. But like similarly in the United States, uh, mm-hmm. a judge can choose to like close proceedings, like how they do with uh, cases involving minors, mm-hmm. and. So it kind of like varies on from case to case, but for the most part, a lot of it is encouraged to be accessed by the public just to be visible by everybody and see that justice is actually taking place. In what situation would the judge deny access to the public or uh, media attention? Uh, similar, like, well, most of the cases that I've seen are involving minors that where they want to protect their own their privacy <laughs> because they are like young people and who are facing like probably the worst part of their lives at that point and they don't want like all this information to become public and that will follow them for the rest of their lives and i also know like for certain situations like um like involving rape or those kind of more intimate situations they'll sometimes not disclose that information also and then if i can switch it up again to go back to rudy i was wondering does the judge have to explain why they denied your, uh, you know, freedom request? They don't have to, but they, nine times out of ten, they will explain why. Because for the most part, when it comes to restrictions on bail, they'll, they'll say, okay, I won't, I'm denying your request, but you can then go ahead and hear what they're saying, like why they're denying you, and you can plead to have a judgment on their ruling. That's kind of when it goes in in France, because here in the U.S., we do have, like, you can, it comes down to the judge when it comes down to bail. The judge is the final say, like, no matter what, it's what they believe. Mm-hmm. Where in France, you can plea what the judge ruled beforehand. Right. I mean, so going on just a trial for a topic, you know, for my topic, um, which is 
really broad and encompasses all of yours. Um, so the rights of a fair trial, you know, you can, once you get your decision, uh, judges must explain the grounds and like the fact of the law they based their decision on, you know, regarding your case. And then if you do not agree, there is like, we, they also have a right to an appeal, you know, system. There's a two tier system in which courts are, of the first instance, like regional courts, I think it's called like TGI, um, and they hear cases for the first time where appeal courts hear the case on a second time and can set aside or alter or reverse the judgment in the first instance, depending on how the, the first trial went. It um, it established kind of like a trust in the in like the district, um, depending on precedents. But so, well, Troy, what do you feel like? What system do you feel helps the defendant more than the plaintiff? I think I think the American system might take the cake on that one. Just because um, it's so broad or because it just, just helps? Just because the saying, um, innocent till proven guilty, a lot of times that isn't true. Um, but it's there. And we have to start with an accusatory complaint. You know, something must be filed. Someone must point a finger first. Whereas a lot of times in the French system, they come up with you as a suspect. The, they find you, whereas, like, there's no, nobody called, they, they came up with a decision through investigation. So do you feel as if they're kind of profiling the suspect based on what they know? I wouldn't say that necessarily. I would say, I would say the American system has kind of come through, is growing and is younger. And the French system has had more time to develop than ours. Um, I think we're rewriting a lot of the laws um, that have kind of put people in uh, an unfair place, uh, specifically African-Americans. I know I might, I might be a little biased. For all the listeners out there, I am African-American, so uh, there is a certain fear, as Rudy said earlier, of the criminal justice system and maybe even some of the officers of the law. But I know that they take an oath to swear to protect me as American citizens. But if we talk about some of the laws like uh, war on, or, you know, like some of the things that happened with the war on drugs and President Nixon, which was kind of justification to arrest specific types of people. And as we came up with tough on crime and uh, minimum sentencing laws or mandatory minimums uh, for petty crime and incarceration rates went up you kind of you kind of have to grow from there and it it may be kind of dim it may be look kind of dark but we're coming up and so i still think that we as a system it's better just because we, it's more public and it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of hard to explain. But. 
Um, so once trials start <clears throat> in uh, France, defendants are actually uh, afforded even more rights. And a lot of them are actually similar to in the United States. Like, uh, just like in the United States, uh, defendants in France are presumed innocent until proven guilty. And uh, they have the right to be informed of all evidence, and which means like the, the prosecutor must inform the defense of all evidence before the trial begins. At this point, they are afforded the right to remain fully silent, whereas before they had to at least state their name. And interestingly, they have the right to understand the trial, which there isn't really anything uh, comparable in the United States. And this means that at the beginning of a trial, the defendant gets to choose whether they want the trial to take place in English or French or a combination of both. And this would mean that uh, if the, whichever language the defendant chooses, uh, the defendant and their lawyer are free to adjust, address the judge and the jury in that language and use that language throughout the trial and in any legal documents associated with it. If uh, the accused does not speak either language, then the trial will take place in French and a uh, interpreter is uh, given to the defendant at the expense of the state. And uh, in the United States, um, the rights afforded to the uh, defendants are, again, with the Fifth Amendment, you have the right to remain silent. And interestingly, in France, they do not have uh, a right to not be placed in double jeopardy, meaning in the United States, you can't be tried twice for the same crime, but I guess technically in France, you can. And what technicalities would that be like? Because you, okay, so double jeopardy is impossible, but um, in some cases, it is in America, like with military code. You can be, I know that for certain, because mm -hmm. yeah, they tell us all the time that you can be tried, you know, by the military for the same crime that you are, if it's in the States. Yeah, and um, the other two exceptions are, you can face charges in federal and state court mm -hmm. for the same crime, and in you can be uh, brought to trial on the same issues in criminal court and in civil court, most famously with uh, O.J. Simpson, when he was found uh, not guilty in criminal court, but liable for damages in civil court for the same crime. But you're not going to prison for civil court? No, no, but it's still like the same issues that are given their day in court and can have a different outcome, regardless of the outcome of uh, the other trial. And... Another right the United States gives that France does not is the right to a speedy trial. And the Sixth Amendment of the United States Constitution states that uh, defendants in a criminal case are afforded the right to a speedy trial, although it does not specify a time limit. And oftentimes this can be sometimes a year or more, and uh, judges have to, often have to decide on a case-by-case -case basis whether a defendant's trial was unconstitutionally delayed. And under the Eighth Amendment um, in the United States Constitution, you are granted the right against cruel and unusual punishment, which uh, kind of goes into the whole like capital punishment sort of thing that a lot of people these days are 
starting to consider capital punishment as cruel and unusual punishment. And I think Rachel has more to say on that. Um, yeah, so like Peter mentioned, um, having a right to attorney is especially important in capital punishment cases just because they are um, such huge cases. Um, for the U.S., capital punishment started off in the 1600s, 1700s, um, so a lot earlier than what times are now. And um, in order to be like punished at a capital level um, during that time, the crimes ranged from different things like stealing or trading, witchcraft, um, or murder in general. So very loose. Yeah, but that was in the 1600s, 1700s. So it was a long time ago and things have changed since then and I'll get more into that later. Mm -hmm. um, in 1776, the Declaration of the Independence, um, the signers believed that it isn't a deterrent to crime, but instead it increased criminal behavior. So they thought that um, having capital punishment in the United States actually um, caused more criminal behavior rather than like having some something so large hang over your head for a crime you might commit um, it didn't really deter them in that sense and then in 19 in 1794 i mean the pennsylvania was the first state to consider degrees of murder um for capital punishment so they repealed the death penalty for all offenses except for first-degree murder. So um, Pennsylvania was the first to do this, and they said that, like, first-degree murder is the only way you could be given the death penalty. In 1834, they were also the first to move um, capital punishment out from the public eye. So before, they would do hangings or, like, um, other forms of death were committed and it was out in the public so people could see it. And then Pennsylvania was the first to move it behind closed doors where the public couldn't see. In 1846, Michigan abolished for all crimes but treason. So for Michigan, um, murder was not punishable by death, but treason was. And then Rhode Island and Wisconsin abolished for all crimes shortly after that. Even treason. Yep, yeah, even treason. And then a great reform and victory for the death penalty um, abolitionists was seen when Tennessee in 1838 enacted discretionary death penalty statuses. So the circumstances of the crime were taken into consideration um, before the death penalty was given to an individual. And then Alabama later did the same thing. And then shortly after that, a progressive period of reform took place. Um, during the first half of the 20th century, between 1907 and 1917, where six states outlawed the death penalty and three others limited to crimes of treason, of treason, treason and first-degree murder of law enforcement officials. Um, and then World War I happened, and as a reaction to that, by 1925, of the six abolitionist states had reinstated the death penalty and then 1989, um, 
it was concluded that the Eighth Amendment does not prohibit capital punishment. So essentially, um, cruel and unusual punishment doesn't include capital punishment. So the death penalty isn't considered cruel or unusual. So why, can I ask why so many of the states um, did consider you know, capital punishment as cruel and unusual before World War I and then changed their verdict afterwards and decided that, hey, we, we do need this back. Um, I think just because the war changed a lot of people's political views and um, with that comes like enforce law enforcement so everything's going to shift because everything in the world shift at that time so we were looking at a whole new perspective and I think that played a really big role in why um, states switched from being anti death penalty to being pro-death penalty and even today there still are states that are pro-death penalty uh, obviously some that aren't uh texas actually executed somebody today that is true oh, what uh hate crime murder oh um and then so switching into france the death penalty was first abolished under the act of 26 october 1795 so that's when they first decided that the death penalty would no longer be used. But then um, just 15 years later, they reintroduced it under the penal code. And then it was later again abolished by the provisional government in 1848. So just 38 years later for only political matters or of political nature. And then, um, so then it was completely abolished for all reasons under the act of 9 October 1981. And um, prior to the final abolishment of the death penalty in France, six people were um, put on death row that day. And because of the abolishment of the act, those people were moved from the death penalty to just a life sentence in prison. Um, it also added and ratified the protocol number six to the European Convention to safeguard human rights and fundamental liberties, meaning that France can only reestablish the death penalty because of war or by denouncing the convention of 20 December 1985. And then um, shortly after that, 16 years later in 2001, it was changed to exclude war. Um, so basically they could only reestablish the death penalty by denouncing the convention, and that was like the um, national organizations that the country was involved in. In 2004, a proposition was set before the French National Assembly for terrorists, but it wasn't adopted. And then the abolition incorporated into the Constitution of the Fifth Republic by the Constitutional Act of the 23 February 19, 2007. Um, and that said that no one shall be sentenced to death. And it, they were the, France was the 17th country to implement this into their constitution. So it was unconstitutional to be sentenced to death, to death in France at that time. And it now stipulates in Article 66-1 of the Constitution of the French Republic, a constitutional amendment 
from the Congress of the French Parliament that no one should be sentenced to death. Um, in France, they had um, a lot of different ways of using the death penalty, but the most common one for them and the most recent one they used took place by guillotine, and that was their main legal method of issuing a death penalty since the French Revolution. And before 1791, ways of capital punishment included hanging, decapitation, burning, breaking wheel, death by boiling, or dismemberment. And um, so the most recent time they had for using the guillotine was um, on April 25th of 1792, and the guillotine was originally proposed by Joseph Ignace Guillotine. And um, the French government believed that the guillotine was more humane, and it was first used on Nicholas Jacques Pelletier. Um, and then up to 1981, the French Penal Code stated, um, quoting three different articles, Article 12 said, any person sentenced to death shall have his head cut off. Then Article 13 said, by exception to Article 12, when the death penalty is handed down for crimes against safety of the state, executions shall take place by firing squad. And Article 14 stated, if the families of the executed persons wish to reclaim the bodies, they shall have them. It shall then be for them to have them buried without any prompt. And then um, the first debate about the abolition of the death penalty took place on May 30th of 1791. And this is when they had, the government had a discussion or debate about whether they really should have outlawed the death penalty. Um, and for the U.S., we have the Eighth Amendment, which says no cruel or unusual punishment, but um, the death penalty doesn't apply to that. But in France, they did outlaw um, torture long before the death penalty was introduced. And just kind of overall, I do believe that um, France is doing a better job at handling these type of situations. Uh, many states in the U.S. don't have the system, but I do think that it's not necessary. Uh, so you don't think uh, the death penalty is a good deterrent for crime? Um, I would say yes. I would say it is a good deterrent. I don't think that necessarily would cause more criminal behavior. But at the same time, I do feel like there's other ways of punishment that the death penalty doesn't necessarily need to be used. Um, I could get on board, though, for the sense that, um, like, the term an eye for an eye, if you murder someone, I feel like the death penalty should be implied because that is a serious crime. Right, and so how does that affect life sentences um, or sentences that are, you know, heavier in years since they don't really implement the death penalty? Um, well, similar to the U.S., I mean, if if there's no death penalty, you just sit in prison or in jail until your time is up. I think um, it's definitely more humane to leave people in prison, but then we also, like in the U.S., we suffer mass incarceration. Our prisons are being overloaded because we don't mm. use the process necessarily. Do you feel this isn't, like, 
it's not a deterrent anymore because people feel like, oh, if I go on death row, then I just know I'm still not going to be executed no matter what. Because in the U.S., it's very hard to be executed whether you're on death row or not. Do you feel it's less of a deterrent that way? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it... Yes, I'll have to say yes. But at the same time, I do feel like many people will go ahead and commit those crimes because they know, like, if they get caught, that their punishment could be, like, the death penalty. And when you're suffering, like, capital punishment, like, it's an easy way out. Like, many people, I think, um, would rather just take that easy way out than rather sit in prison for 100 years just because that's, you're doing the same thing over and over and that's not the lifestyle they necessarily want to live. So then, do you still think that it's more humane to send someone to prison rather than yes i do think it is more humane to send someone um for a life sentence in prison rather than give them the death penalty just because um it's more a form of punishment that you have to sit there for those hundred years and think about what you did and why you did it and i think that will eventually for any saying normal human will eat away at them and like it would be a form of rehabilitation in a sense because they're gonna not do that again because they have to sit there for the rest of their life but also because it's a hundred years of thinking about what you did okay and that about wraps up the second episode of our podcast comparing the uh, legal systems of france and the united states